Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's segment of Guardian Mindset Podcast. And this week, I am very happy to have a true friend, a longtime friend, a retired Chief Terry Wolfong on the call. And we'll get into Terry's background. But as you know, I got to start every podcast off with a quote. And this week, when I went out looking for a quote for Terry, uh, it was a little difficult because Terry branches the so many different worlds of training leadership and being leadership. And she likes all this warm and fluffy stuff that I don't really get along too well with, as you know, because if you listen to Paul Butler's uh, presentation, he said that I'm a, I'm a leader, so I have no feelings. So <laughs> my feelings is Terry. Terry is always my checker along the way. So I'm going to start out with a quote from John Maxwell that said, there is almost no limit to the potential of an organization that recruits good people, raises them up as leaders, and continually develops them. And I think that's basically how to, how to uh, summarize uh, my guest, Chief Wolfong, because not only is she interested in surrounding herself with good people and has been a police chief, um, and, and she'll tell you about that, but she is now dedicated to the profession of raising good leaders and developing good leaders. Because as you know, and this is one thing we'll talk about today, is that you know, leadership doesn't come with the chevrons. It just doesn't, it's not an automatic plug-in. And so, Terry, welcome. Thank you. Good to see you. It's so awesome to see you. How you been? Good. Doing well. Uh, awesome. And so now, Terry, uh, I have the honor of you being in a couple of different areas with DLG, and you are uh, a consultant that has worked in our policy center for, God, I want to say four or five years now, right? I mean, that's... Uh, not that we're counting years, that's for sure. Um, but, and not only Terry has instructed at multiple training programs, including the Use of Force Summit, and she will be back again this year at the Use of Force Summit. And, and her specialty is in the area of, of focusing on, you know, training and how to conduct training and how to build leaders. But Terry, can you give the uh, listeners just kind of an overview of your career and and which was an awesome career, by the way, but how you got here and we can move on from there. Sure. Okay. Born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. So my, I am third generation law enforcement and my son is four. So I tell people I got my grandfather, my dad, my sister, my son, and my husband. So I say we are the true blue bloods rather than this television show. That is true. Thank you. I started on policing. We won't say what year that was, but a few years ago where, um, very difficult for women and i'm branching into an area where i was denied an application to even be hired so a little different back in those days so i after college went to university of louisville go cards and i started with the sheriff's department because the agency i really wanted to get on was jefferson county out of louisville kentucky was under consent decree by the department of justice you've taught many people what that means and what that looks like so I went to the sheriff's department and I stayed there about three years just to get my foot in the door. And then, um, and I say this as I teach about leadership is people don't leave bad organizations. People leave bad leaders, which is why I left. My sheriff actually went out in handcuffs with the FBI. He was arrested for corruption using taxpayer money inappropriately, as they say. So I left. I actually got recruited by Kentucky State Police and I was a trooper for three years which was good. I had a wonderful experience. Um, I was in Eastern Kentucky where I tell people I learned a new language of us and we and you 
when I was a culture shock because they would talk and I had no idea what they're saying. Uh, but I loved it. Oh, how much fun that was. But I truly worked for dinosaurs. A lot of them were Vietnam vets. And um, my post commander basically told me he hated women. And the first thing he was going to do is get rid of me. That was my first day on the job. So warm and fuzzy on that part. Uh, that how you got that warm and fuzzy basis, huh? Oh, yeah. That's where it came from. He was so sweet and kind. <laughs> but uh, after three years, I knew the chances for advancement more women were like null and void. So from there, I did a lateral. I tell people I was a millennial born way too soon because I moved around a lot, but I, I stayed in the profession. My generation called me a person who couldn't keep a job back in those days. Um, so after I left there, I went to Jefferson County, which is really where I wanted to go. The consent decree, they were in compliance and a lot of former Kentucky State Troopers were there. So literally, I physically went home and being among troopers, it was it was a great fit. So I stayed. I was very lucky. I went all over the department. I didn't really see a lot of movement against women, just a little bit here and there, but not as much as I did uh, on the other two agencies. And I actually rose up to the rank of captain, which I was thrilled. I had a great career there. And then something happened we thought never would happen. And that's two major police departments merged, which was the Louisville Division of Police and Jefferson County Police. So we did a big merger and I was very, very fortunate. We had an outside chief come in and I rose up to the rank of deputy chief. So. I was one of the deputy chiefs of an agency of 1700. So what a great experience that was. That sounds like an awesome experience. It's an awesome experience. Boy, I could tell you what not to do. That's for sure. Huh. And that's why you're such a good instructor nowadays. There you go. What not to do. So uh, after 26.5 years, I topped out and um, I thought, you know what? I'm going to see if I could be a police chief. I mean, what's the worst can happen? I tell people um, either you get it or you don't. So I thought, what the heck? So I put in for an agency. I actually never had been there. And I actually went to the city, kind of interviewed the city of what it was like to live there. And I liked it. So I put in and I was very fortunate and I got Greenville, South Carolina. So I was hired in as a change agent. And I believe you also talk about what that means. Um, I was hired in to go in to change the culture and everything into an organization. I was the first outsider. I was not the first female in the state. Another great lady, a chief down in Sumner was a chief there. So after about seven years, uh, which is when I met you, I actually had you come in and do some training. You did internal affairs training in my agency. And then unfortunately we were in a lawsuit and uh, we hired you in to redo all of our policies to get constitutionally sound, which is how I met you. And then I retired and I joined um, FBI LIDA, which you're part of. And then you and I had a conversation uh, you interviewed me about coming on board with you, which I was thrilled to be able to do that. So I've been with you now since I retired, which, uh, gosh, I've been out six years. Can you believe it? No, I That's can't. Cool. That's crazy. I, know. I remember it's sitting with you in a place where we were eating peanuts, throwing them on the ground and talking to you about uh, about your department. And I always like when I, every time I talk to, so Terry and I are, are, we get along awesome, but it's, but, but she's my yin to my yang, meaning that yeah. uh, she's always got to be like, well, you can't say that or you can't say it that way. or And I'm just like, oh, my knuckles are dragging on the ground and I'm just trying to figure out a way forward. And Terry's always the one who'll come to me and go, you know, you were much nicer when you worked for me to me than you are now. And I'm like, well, yeah, chief, because I was working for you at the time. Now you're working for me and I'm just trying to survive here. Isn't that true? That's very true. Very true. Um, so let's talk about that because 
it's very interesting concept, especially in the area of what we're looking at going on around the country right now and and the concept of a change agent. And and what would you, you know, for, for the people that may not understand, especially the fact that you might be young in law enforcement listening and what does a change agent mean? And, and what is the, how would you describe to people your duties as a change agent? Well, the change agent basically is you go into the organization and you take a total review of everything and you look at where are they? Are they in compliance to best practice, policy procedures, and basically the culture? What is the culture of the organization? And, and I'll admit right up front, one thing that I messed up on, and uh, I ate some crow. I apologize to him and I ate some crow on this one. I went in there knowing I had to make change and I made change too fast. I didn't have people on board. So I had to back up and slow down. So that's a number one thing I tell people when you go in to make changes within the organization, you got to make sure you got everybody on board before you start implementing change. That, yeah. that's just a difficult thing to do. So start uh, looking. I tell, I tell people all the time, and I think you've heard me say it about a million times since you've heard me teach a million times. Someday when I leave this job, I'm going to write a book about changing culture in the police department. And I've been doing this job for 20 years and I don't have anything to put in the book right now. <laughs> changing culture is one of the most difficult philosophies because in, 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 if you're listening and you're like, hey, I still understand what's a culture. The best way I can describe culture is, well, this is the way we do it here. Meaning like we'll go into an agency and we'll ask them questions. Why do you do this? Or why do you fill out that form? Or why do you handle this this way? And they kind of look at you cross-eyed and they look at you and, and Terry and I have been on projects where they kind of look at you and go, well, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way I was taught to do it. And that's the way, so we don't know anything different. And that's where we look at them and we say, hey, listen, if you don't know why you're doing it, then you should be doing it. And if you don't, if you can't back it up with some something significant, then you you're you're not any good for your organization. So, Terry, one of the things I want to talk about, which I think you are a phenomenal instructor and a, and a fabulous in the area of leadership development, and done a great job with the FBI Lead a Team. And and you know, you get the opportunity to travel the country and interact. And people often say. You know, because you say it to me all the time, and now I think you see it. Yes, traveling is terrible. It is not fun. Uh, hotel rooms are terrible. But the one thing that I can, I'm always looking for a positive, and the positive is that I get to travel this wonderful country and, more importantly, meet amazing law enforcement and correctional professionals across the country. And they are learning from me, but I'm learning from them at the same time. I mean, anybody that knows thinks they know everything should have retired. And, but as you travel the country, when you started doing Lita and you started traveling, what was one of your biggest surprises to, that you started to realize? What did you start to realize when you got out of your niche of South Carolina, Kentucky, and started to travel the country? And don't make fun of Northeast when you're at it, all right? <laughs> well, they make fun of me. Yeah. Say that word, I'm like, really? Uh, the main thing I, I won is I don't care where you go. Cops are the same. I, I don't care. And I've been to Honolulu. I mean, I've been to Canada. They're, they're the same. And it's interesting. The problems that they have, every organization has the same problems. Number one problem that they constantly tell me is lack of communication. We have no idea what's going on. Nobody shares information. And the other part is lack of leadership. It, it's the common denominator all across the country, especially today. Now, within the last year, 
is the lack of leadership and they want it so badly. It's they're like, nobody's telling us what to do, where to go, how to do it. We're just kind of like existing for the day, which is really, really sad. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to, which is when we use words like that, you know, my problem with words like that is that we have to discuss what their meaning is. And so when you say lack of leadership, um, what, how do you describe the leadership or what is leadership to you in, in your everyday teaching engagements? I look at leadership as mentoring, developing, coaching, and teaching your people. Number one is building future leaders within the organization. Because I tell them, you don't own the rank that you have. You're renting it. Your job is That's to train. That's a great point. And that doesn't happen. It's it's like they exist in the position. And and especially now, so many are leaving the profession, which we we understand. But what about those who can't? What about those that are like 10, 12 years in? They can't retire. They can't leave. They're going to lose too much. It, it's like, you know, you got in this profession to protect and serve. You got in this profession to help others. What about within your own organization? And, and I think it's one of those that they need to stop thinking about, woe is me, police reform's coming, and start taking care of your people and start doing the right thing within your organization. Oh, that's, and, and you know, and as you would expect, everybody that's had the same philosophies, you know, Obviously, all the people I hang around with are this. We all have the same philosophies, but the difference is experience. So I want to kind of break down a couple of different things, and I want to break it into categories. If you'll, if you'll, uh, if you'll stay with me in this, let's start with the brand new officer. You know, obviously, you're you're very big on leadership and teaching, and we'll get to the supervisors and the chiefs. But, but I think what I want to pay attention to first is. Over all your years of experience and 33 plus years of experience, and maybe even higher nowadays, but I'd say of all those years of experience, what do you say to the brand new officer who's just starting out? And first, let's start out with male or female. It doesn't matter. But what do you say to the brand new officer who started this job and is taking a look around right now and going, man, what am I doing here? Like, why did I choose this job? And and the one thing that I like to focus on is the the question that I get all at Common Academy is they look at me and they say, well, how do I know that this will be a good choice? How do I know that I made the right choice of the career? Now, you and I both know after 30 plus years of this gig that this is a great job. But oh, yeah. what is your advice to an officer who's just starting out, who's kind of popping his head out of the foxhole looking around and just like, what did I do? Why am I in this career? I think the main thing is, is, is to tell them is, you know, put your best foot forward if that we say in everything, but stop watching the news on everything. Don't <laughs> be watching it all day long. Cause Get it's off not Twitter and <laughs> negative stuff. But, but I tell them, I said, you know, you got to look at where you work. And I ask this in every class, do you have strong support of the community they serve? And they're telling me, yes, we do. I said, then stop watching the news. Major cities, that's a different story in some of the areas of our country, but mid-sized departments, which is mainly who I work with, I said, focus on the positive because it's there. You have it within your community. You're helping people every single day, which is probably why you're going in this profession. It's know your job, come in and do the right thing. Don't forget you have a heart, but the main thing is to treat people with dignity and respect internal and external, no matter what these people background is. That's the number one thing is you got into the job to protect and serve. And remember, that's what you're supposed to do. And a little bit of procedural justice in the process there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so simple if you really look at it. Is is you look at the profession? I make they make fun of me when I talk about Mayberry and and Barney and Andy of how they did policing. I'm like, that's what we need to be doing. Exactly what they did, working within the community. And don't forget that. That's the main thing. Well, you've served in a lot of different roles, especially in a merging department and in in a culture change department. And right now everybody everybody in law enforcement is finding a challenge with policing in the community and with the community um over the years of having to form these community relations do you have any opinions or guidance to those listening on how they can better work with the community and enhance that community support i think basically it's reaching out is connections that you have start getting involved in organizations within your community, which most agencies are doing, but you really need to have that individual contact. I, actually, when I, I do the executive class, I, I draw a circle and said, that's the chief and sheriff. Give me all the external stakeholders and internal stakeholders that you need to have relationships with to be able to survive and make your community better. That, that's like a two hour discussion yeah. of all the different entities that you need to reach out. And the main thing is you have people that don't support you. That's, that's anywhere, that's society. Use the olive branch to the best of your ability. Yeah, and and I really wish that we could share the, with everybody how good we see uh, around the country with law enforcement and how many professional people there are. Now, I, I want to touch on a subject that I lead your guidance on because obviously uh, I, I'm a male in the profession and when I joined the profession 30 years ago, um, it was very few female troopers in the Connecticut state police. And, you know, I think our class graduated like four or five and there was 80 males, which was a normal, a normal percentage that you would see back in the nineties. And, and fast forward to today where I think that the increase of female officers, um, has been phenomenal. I think they offer, uh, an amazing perspective, um, kind of get out from that knuckle dragging application to a little bit more of a, of a, of a, uh, a caring and, 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 and environment, which supports the community. But boy, you've watched a lot change with females in law enforcement over the years. How, how would you describe that? Well, when I was with Kentucky state police out of a thousand troopers, there were 11 women. I should wow. write a book. Yeah, I should yeah. write a book. It's really changed. I think that when I started, gosh, it's centuries ago now compared to what it is today is I think now, especially this new generation we call Generation Z, it doesn't matter that they don't care about the color of your skin. They don't care about your gender. It's all in one, which I love that it's all working together and they don't look at it so much as my generation did, which is the baby boomers, but I'm on the very tail end of those. Yep. Is basically, it's changed tremendously. And I think it started with leadership is that when my generation started getting into leadership or the next generation, which is your generation, Generation X, is they looked at the world differently and realized women belong and it's no longer the cliche of you're taking a man's job. I think that's finally over. Um, I, I still see it though. I was watching some age, small department. I forgot what part of the country it was in, but their very first female captain. I'm like, gosh, this is 2021. So I still go into organizations or I'm sorry, I go out into different parts of the country and I still have, unfortunately, women coming up to me and like, I can't get anywhere. I can't get promoted. I can't go anywhere. They're, they keep holding me back. What should I do? Which is very unfortunate. It still exists, but not to the point that it was before. I mean, so, and, and usually, 
you know, I can classify it as fear of yes. the um, there and and as the second female police chief um, in in South Carolina, how how did that um, how were you received as you, from your peer group from other female police chiefs, and what was your biggest challenge as a female police chief going in as a change agent? I, looking back, I don't really. I didn't really feel that is because I was a female. I more felt it because I was brought in. I was an outsider coming in. I didn't grow up within the department, but I was very fortunate. The aspect is they want to change within the organization. And they actually, the officers actually wanted an outsider to come in to make change. And um, so that part I was accepted more so is going out into the community. Um, some people, I guess I don't want to say the word shock, but an unusual that they didn't, they would say like, you're really the police chief. And I went, yes, I am. And it's, I think they were <laughs> shocked because they've never seen it before. Right. Um, I think it's, I changed where I think being an outsider going in, I had an advantage because I didn't know anybody, anything. I didn't know this person who helped me get this chief job inside that organization. So everybody had an even playing field. I got in there and I broke up that good old boy system which I think helped in a lot of aspects where everybody realized that they had an opportunity. It was based on their merit and what they've accomplished and who they were, not who they were friends with, related to, or played golf with, et cetera. So as I travel the country and see the increase of female officers, one of the things that I, I notice, which um, is that, you know, as a young officer, one of the most important things that I could see in the department was, who you chose as your mentor and what type of mentorship you receive. And, um, and I don't see a lot of um, opportunities and I think hopefully that will become better as more female uh, females get promoted to higher ranks and offer more mentorship. But what piece of advice would you give based on your experience over the years to a, an officer who start a female officer who's starting off, looking for her equal way forward in an organization? I think the main thing is for them just to be themselves. I think going into the organization, it's like, well, I need to be one of the boys. And I'm like, you're not one of the boys. You'll never be one of the boys. So don't even try. Just be who you are and base it on your credibility that you've achieved of the accomplishments that you've made. I, I mean, don't let the, the fact that you're female ever stop you. So we talk about diversity throughout organizations, but I always talk about what is inclusion? What does that mean? Meaning, do you have an equal opportunity to go anywhere in the organization as everyone else does? And, you know, there are sometimes you might have to push a little bit to get inside um, if there's clicks or different parts of it within an organization. So it, it can be difficult in some aspects, but I, it really starts with the leadership. If the top-notch leadership realizes we have talent no matter who you are and tap in on that talent. It just makes things so much better for everyone. So it's much, much better. It was when I started, there's no question. Right. I still think there's a little bit ways to go, but you know, well, you and I, you, you and I've discussed it where you get phone calls. It's like, you know, we got women that won't get promoted. We got women that won't try to go anywhere. What's wrong with the women? And it's like, it's not the women. You have to look inside your organization. What's, what's going on inside your organization that's causing them not to feel that they're wanted in those positions. That's that's an awesome explanation. Thank you for that. I really like that. So let's let's now change to your what I think is one of your biggest expertises, and that's training supervisors and the key. And you know how important I think supervision is, and as the backbone 
um, to uh, core not only liability protection, but operational uh, sanctity within a department and how much a department could fail if their supervisors don't do their job. So I'm going to start out with a brand new supervisor. Someone has just been promoted to a supervisory rank. What advice would you give a young supervisor who's just been, you know, promoted from the, from the uh, squad and now he or she is in charge of the squad and, and now they got to find their way forward. And, and as you know, there's, there's not a, there's not a, they don't give you a little chip in your brain to become a new person, right? You just, next day you got chevrons and go do your job. What advice do you give to a new supervisor? Well, I'm hoping new supervisors now get training. I got training on how to be a sergeant when I was a lieutenant. I mean, my <laughs> sergeant, lieutenant goes, I'm an acting sergeant for two weeks. Here's the book. Call me if you need anything and left. I was like, okie dokie, here we go. The number one thing I think going into it is, I go back to you for me say that is to be yourself. And I tell them, you are the supervisor. Your job is to take care of your people, but what also means holding them accountable. Do not try to be their buddy, their pal, your friend all the time. You will fail. I, I love Colin Powell's famous words. The good followers know who the bad followers are, and they're waiting to see what you're going to do about it. So do your job. Know your job. Do your job. Treat people the way they should be treated. Consistency. But basically do your job. And you got to make those tough decisions, which is, can be very difficult. I get that. But you got to know your job, and you got to do it well and be out there amongst them. Right. You can't know what your people are doing if you sit in the office all day playing on the computer. That's so true. if you work for me, I'm with you on the street, which is where you need to be. You need to know you need to know what's going on. Let people do their job, but be there to back them up in a system if they need it. That's awesome advice. And so now let's move up the ranks. Let's go to middle management chief of police. And in mm -hmm. obviously uh running a department today is got its unique challenges. Um with our, with, we'll, we'll talk about our community relationships and our social media and our news media, defund the police, police reform all over the country, you know, all of these things that are causing stresses. And I got to be honest with you, you know, I'm a pretty direct person. And, and, and you, do you know that? Like, <laughs> yeah. You heard that before? And, yeah. and you know, and I'm kind of looking around the country and, with all that's going on, and I don't hear from any police chiefs. I don't hear from them saying, you know, fighting for their people or saying, listen, what you see on the news is a, is a tenth of a percent of all of the sworn officers in this country. And, and, but, but it's, I've never been a police chief, so I don't know how to be a police chief. And with all your years of experience, if you have a, a executive that's listening to this, what's your advice to them through the adversity of today? Especially today is your people need you now more than ever. And I ask that in class is when's the last time you've seen your leader? Do they walk around? Do they come around the organization? Do you ever see them? Do they stay in the office? Is the only time you see them when something's wrong? But I think now police chiefs really have, I think a harder time than ever is finding the balance between the politicians and the agency. And it's trying to keep both sides I don't want to say the word happy, but where they feel that you're doing your job and you're supporting both sides at the same time. And there's a lot of communities where politicians support the police. It's you don't hear the defund. You don't hear that all across America. And the media makes it appear to be that way, which, of course, it's not. 
But I think the main thing is you're going to be out there amongst the people mm -hmm. is walking around the organization, talking to your people, supporting them, providing training that they need and make sure that all the police perform that. I, I like to look at a strategic plan. I was just up in Illinois. The police reform bill that's coming in place um, is 725 pages. So they gave it to me. I think I'm on page 400 now because I'm, I'm reading through that and they're having a very difficult time. Very difficult time because the training academy says we don't even know how to train you on it because we don't know what this means. So some states it's a little bit more difficult than others, but they need to already have a strategic plan and be planning for the future and have their people already ready to go with some of these police reforms is get ahead of the curve. Don't wait till it comes to you because it's coming. Go and have like the de-escalation, which you talk about that de-escalation intervention. Those should already be in the policies really looking at your use of force and we go into procedural justice um, just because you can should you is i mean um, some of these videos out there and some of these actions these officers are taking i'm like what were they thinking um <laughs> in the views you watch it and you're like they weren't even doing anything why, why are you tasting this individual right so I, I think that's the main thing is make sure they're trained and the other thing is those personal supervisors i keep saying this they have got to be out there on the street knowing what their people are doing so that when they make a mistake, they correct it right away and don't let those little small problems end up in the major problems, which is the biggest thing. That's great advice. Um, so, of course, I'm going to have a difficult question. The difficult question is this. We have media and social media have increased over the years and to sometimes to our detriment. And... And we've seen a whole ton of scrutiny of law enforcement on the media and social media. Um, what's your opinion on the manner and the type of scrutiny that police are receiving across the country on a daily basis? No matter what they do in somebody's eyes, they're always wrong. That, that's the bottom line, the way the media does it. And, you know, and they're like, well, the media hates us. And said, you have to look at why they do what they do, the ratings and society wants to see blood, gut, and gore. So society wants to see bad stuff more so than the good stuff, even though you try to put it out there. But I, I basically tell them, get off social media. I mean, don't follow everything. You might want to look at the news to kind of know what's going across the country, but there's so much negativity out there. So it's, what is your agency doing? Are they putting positive stories out there on their social media? I'll go into look a lot of websites on departments and all they show is bad guys they're looking for. Yeah. Um, show more positive things that the agency is doing rather than negative things. And just, and I tell them just gosh, be so careful on social media, what you say and what you do, just cause you're thinking it doesn't mean you need to post it or not even have a social media site. Um, I look at that more of an officer safety factor today more so than ever is, do you really want that out there of who you are and what you do? Why even use social media um, for your personal use? And no, it can be, the interesting part for me is as a mother with a son on the job, um, how has that been a dramatic change? Because now you went from doing the job to having a son on the job that you have to worry about every day uh, in that regard. You still su you're supporting, the, I assume, the fact that he's still on the job. But boy, what's your biggest fears as a mother, but also as a mother who fully understands the, the ins and outs of law enforcement? Um, it was tough because um, he's in a major department and when all the riots that were occurring across the country, um, um, that's probably the first time I have really had tremendous fear because my son was right smack in the middle of them is 
you know, because, you know, he'd have to call me every night. The rule was, if you get hurt, you call me. I don't want to hear from the PD, but right. he, you know, the media's not showing it, but he's telling me they're getting shot at every single night. It, it was scary. It was really scary knowing that he was in the middle of it. Now things are calmed down and I know he uses good judgment, but it's one of those is, you know, when's the next shoe going to drop and what's going to happen? We just had a shooting of a Capitol police officer today watching it. And it's like the new norm is an officer's assassinated every day in our country, which is so scary. It's very so, scary. Yeah, especially where he's assigned, he's in a specialty division is, you know, it's a high profile division, but he goes, I'm well-trained. I know what I'm doing and I'm not going to do anything stupid. He goes, so you don't have to worry about my name being on the news. I'm like, that's a good thing. And stay well, off social media. That's the good point though. I mean, he's saying yeah. that to you that has, you know, 30 plus years of law enforcement experience. What, can you imagine the officers out there with, with whose whose support system don't have any understanding of the the good and the bad and just are now like, what are you doing? Why are you choosing this line of work? Why are go do something else? Go back to school. Um, you know, uh, that support system is so important as you as you are doing for your son. And it's, you know, it's one of those, I mean, I teach all across the country and I ask that question, how many of y'all want your, your kids to get in law enforcement? And usually I have no one, 30, 40, 50 people in a room and no one raises their hand. Well, you know, we're not going to survive if that's the case, right? And we're going to have two problems, right? Um, all right. So let's, let's not end on a negative note because that no. wouldn't be good. We got always, let's, stuff on. always positive. Is this so as you travel the country with your experience and get to interact with law enforcement, what does the future of law enforcement look like to you? Like if somebody, if you had a teenager that came up to you now and said, chief, I think I want to be a, a an officer someday. Uh, how do you explain what does the future of law enforcement look to like to you? Well, that's a great question, but everybody's hung up on the police reform and how bad it is of the future. But, I mean, I've been policing a long time. I've seen a lot of change come across in law enforcement, which is constant. There's always change. Of, of, uh, in Kentucky, statues change. You can't arrest people for this anymore. You can't do this anymore or that anymore. And, and letting people out of custody and all these different factors. It's, you know, we played that, oh my God, what's the future going to hold? Everything's going to come to an end. But the future will get better. I mean, we're already seeing in, in parts of the city across the country, it's like, uh, we think we made a mistake on this police uh disbanding because now we're in dire straight. Now we want to hire more police. So I'm seeing that where money's being dumped back into their budgets. The pendulum will change. It's going to change. We're going to see that happen. I just hope it's not going to take another terrorist attack before they realize the importance of police and how they, they can save people. And that's their main focus. It's not what the media is trying to make them look like, unfortunately. You know, I, I, I truly agree with you. And I think one of our biggest challenges is that once it does change, that our recruitment pond, which has become a puddle, um, yes. it, it, that uh, nobody that it's been such disintegrated to nothing. And there's been such a limit of support. You know, people say we need more officers. You know, we can't get more officers unless they want to be officers, right? This is not a draft. Yeah. You have to actually sign up for the job and you have to pass the background, uh, which is a challenge, but, uh, you know, I, I do, I do want to take an opportunity and and thank you because I think you do a, a phenomenal job, and you and your instructors and FBI Lita, um, you know, you dedicated your life not only to the industry of 
service and leadership, but now you're dedicating it to continuing to expand and share your experience with those that are trying to find a way forward. And without a group of people like you and those that do this, um, there would be no hope for the hope for the future because this is not something that you can learn uh, along the way. You have to rely on the experience and the history of others to help you through these difficult times. So on behalf of all of the leaders across the country that you've helped be better, I thank you for that. And I thank you for your dedication because I know it's not easy. And, and also, uh, because you work for me and I know that's not easy. So, uh, <laughs> I appreciate you yeah. across the board. Not What's answering that. that. Keep going, keep going. You're good. Doing all good. Right. Well, uh, all right. Any last thoughts as we'd like to wrap up our time here today? I think we're going to, we're definitely going to have to get you back in the future and maybe focus in on some more of your very specific issues of the things that you teach across the country. But, but uh, before we wrap up here, any last closing comments? I still believe law enforcement is the best profession in this country. I still believe that. Yeah. That's coming from leaders like you that has, that has a lot of weight behind it. And I appreciate that. Um, Terry, thank you. I know your busy schedule. Thank you for taking time away from your family and, and, and giving us some time for the listeners out here. I do appreciate that a lot. All right. Stay safe. And I will end as I always do help those who need your help, protect those who need your protection. And most importantly, keep yourself and others safe. Thank you and see you soon.